The order carriers of Lord Vishnu came because Ajamila had chanted the holy name of Narayana. They did not consider why he was chanting. While chanting the holy name of Narayana, Ajamila was actually thinking of his son but simply because they heard Ajamila chanting the Lord's name, the order carriers of Lord Vishnu, the Vishnu Dutas, immediately came for Ajamila's protection. Hadikirtana is actually meant to glorify the holy name, form, pastimes, and qualities of the Lord. Ajamila, however, did not glorify the form, qualities, or paraphernalia of the Lord. He simply chanted the holy name. 
Nevertheless, that chanting was sufficient to cleanse him of all sinful activities. As soon as the Vishnu Dutas heard their master's name being chanted, they immediately came. In this regard, Srila Vijaya Dwajatirtha remarks, Anena putrasneham antarena prachina drishtapalad udbhutaya bhaktya bhagavan nama sankirtanam kritam iti gayate. Ajamila chanted the name of Narayana because of his excessive attachment to his son. Nevertheless, because of his past good fortune in having rendered devotional service to Narayana, he apparently chanted the holy name in full devotional service and without offenses. Translation again. My dear king, the order carriers of Vishnu, the Vishnu Dutas, immediately arrived when they heard the holy name of their master from the mouth of the dying Ajamila, who had certainly chanted without offense because he had chanted in complete anxiety. Om Agana Timurandasya, Gananjana Shalakaya, Chakshur Militam Gena, Tasmai Sri Guru Venamaha. Jai Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nitaranda, Sri Adwaita Gradhara, Sri Vasari Gaur Bhakta Vrinda, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. We talked yesterday about how precise material nature is. You look at the sunrise, the sunset, the tides coming in, the tides going out, the cycles of the moon. You look at the animal kingdom, the insect kingdom, and how their existence functions as clockwork. So we heard yesterday about how because Ajamila committed sinful activities with his body, his words, and his mind, three Yamadutas came at the time of his death. Everything is so calibrated. We spoke yesterday about how we have this false sense of freedom, which Srila Prabhupada describes, remember, as the basic principle of suffering. This false sense of independence, from the laws of nature. Even the laws of nature that we know about. We don't want to define our life in terms of birth, death, disease, and old age. We know about that, but we don't want that to dominate our life. We want our choices, our successes, our achievements to be what our life is all about. But Bhagavad Gita reminds us what are the dominating factors in our life. The four destroyers of happiness. And then what about the laws of nature we don't even know about? <laughs> we haven't been taught in schools about the Yamadutas. <laughs> they don't give you such training on, at your workplace. But Bhagavatam is informing us of how finely calibrated the laws of material nature are, especially laws we don't know about. We act like little children 
with no idea of the laws of the land, how the politics, the economy works. Of course, even the adults don't know that. We're oblivious. We're just functioning in a dream world. A dream world where we will be fulfilled and we will be appreciated and respected. So three Yamadudas come and Ajamil, as we spoke yesterday, again, is terrified to death by seeing them. And we explain how at the moment of death for a sinful person, it's not simply that you have to deal with the most terrifying physical breakdowns, the departure of your life heirs, as those who understand Vedic knowledge. They know about this. So, it's not only that. It's not only that you have to deal with your body and mind going terrified. Also, if you're sinful, you see the Yamadutas who literally scare you out of your body. In the next verse, you'll hear how the Yamadutas are in the process of snatching the soul of Ajamila from the core of his heart. Let's go. And if all you know in your life is your body and your life has been filled with bodily activities as the centerpiece, you're not going to want to give up your body because that's all you know. This is why the lifestyle of a bhakti yogi is all about minimizing bodily affairs, minimizing bodily attachments. The more when you're young that you absorb yourself in body affairs, the more suffering you incur in old age and at death. So here you have a John Meal, terrified as he's giving up his body. He spent a lifetime of attachment to a very low character wife. And he had 10 children by her. The youngest Ajamila had even in his 80s. And he was eating the food cooked by such a lady of extremely bad character. So this is why Ajamila is described as Dasi Pati. He's the husband of a prostitute. In Vedic culture, you are labeled according to your associates. In contemporary Western culture, which is also affecting India, who cares about your associates? You're an individual. You do your thing. You do what you want to do. And it's all about you. But Vedic culture is much more precise, and you see that in Srimad Bhagavatam. You're labeled according to your associates, your family members. You're the son of this one. Just like Yamaraj. We'll hear more about Yamaraj in the coming verses. He's the son of Bhivaswan, so he's known as Bhivaswaka. And Shukadeva Goswami, he's the son of Vyasadeva, so he's known as Vyasaki. 
Whereas in contemporary Kali Yuga culture, who cares who your family is unless they're extremely rich? Are they a murderer? <laughs> Never mind their abominable behavior. They've got billions. They must be smart, beneficial people. But generally, except for huge amounts of wealth, Packer or Murdoch or whatever, no one cares who your father is. Even if you don't know who your father is, big deal. <laughs> no one cares who your mother is or who your associates are. That's your personal business. Whereas in India, you can still see remnants of Vedic culture in that persons are described as being the son of so-and-so or they're carrying on the profile or the reputation of their family line. Are you a Tata or a Birla? And people judge you according to your association. You're classified in that way because you are affected by your association. The words, the behavior, the conceptions of your associates shape your life. So Bhagavatam knows all that. So it's not being harsh by referring to Ajamila as Dasi, but it's just being factual. You are associating with this kind of person, and therefore you are tagged in that way. You're labeled in that way because you must be affected. You're cooking, you're eating food cooked by such a person, you're having children from such a person. So you're being affected and contaminated. Just like we're trying to be careful as much as humanly possible about the pandemic. Are you wearing a mask? Are you wearing a mask right? Is there social distancing? Is there this? Is there that? Because persons are afraid of contamination, or they should be. What you're seeing in the case of Ajamila is the result of contamination. He was, remember, he was born in a pious Brahmana family. Not a complete Vaishnava family, but a, one that was dedicated to pious activities and therefore they sent their son to the Gurukula. And at the Gurukula, Ajamila was ordered to bring back some firewood for the yagya. And as he was doing that on his way back, he saw, as we talked about yesterday, a couple seated on a bench, embracing, kissing, and all that, which today is considered child's play. But in a real human civilization, this is very disrupting for those who have been raised properly. So appreciate Ajamila's struggle. He tried to fight back in his mind by remembering the Shastra. He did. 
go back to the Gurukul. He didn't stop. He just saw the scene and went back to the Gurukula, but he couldn't get the low-class lady out of his mind. Even after he married a nice Brahmana girl, he still kept that low-class woman that he saw intimately engaged on a bench. He couldn't get her out of his mind. This is the advantage of chanting Hare Krishna. We don't rely on pious activities to cleanse our mind. You'll find that out later in the sixth canto about atonement, how counteracting an impious activity with a pious activity does not transform your heart. And you're going to hear how Pritchett Maharaj explains to Shukadeva Goswami You've taught me about the hellish planets and how persons go there. If you can explain that, then certainly you can explain how to become free from such dangers. I'm concerned. How will people be delivered from such hellish conditions? So you may doubt that there are hellish destinations, hellish planets, but even on this one planet Earth, there's so many hellish places. Do you ever wonder why you're here and not in Syria or Ethiopia or some situation that is so calamitous by natural catastrophes, political catastrophes? You ever wonder why you're not amongst people who are driven from their homes as refugees, desperately trying to cross the Mediterranean to get to Italy or Turkey? Why is that not happening to you? So even on this earth planet, we see hellish situations. You could, be, you could have been born in North Korea. You could have been born in Pakistan. <laughs> Why did it not happen to you? Yet, when we read about the hellish planets, we think, oh, that's a bit too much. Those descriptions must be, we think, exaggerations from motivating us to be good. No, there are heavenly destinations in the universe and there are hellish destinations and there are those destinations in between. And this earth planet is the middle planetary system, in between. That means mixed happiness and distress. Sometimes there's some good happenings and sometimes there's some bad happenings. Sometimes there are long periods of seemingly good and sometimes long periods of seemingly bad. Just like everyone has forgotten, practically speaking, that at the beginning of the 20th century, between 50 million and 100 million people died from the so-called Spanish flu. Why do they forget? It's a good question. Especially in India, many died in India. I think the, the statistics for, for India, which 
It's very difficult for taking numbers. The statistics are 17 million died because of the so-called Spanish flu. It's called the Spanish flu, but actually it originated in the USA. <laughs> so, everyone's forgotten about that. Why? Because World War I was happening at the same time and people were so caught up in the novel, never-before-experienced methods of destruction from poison gas, from airplanes, although the airplanes in World War I were very crude, still it was novel. And tanks, armored vehicles, people had never seen these things before, conceived of these things. So therefore, World War I, in which just 17 million people died, just 17 million, uh, is, that's less than half the persons who died because of the pandemic. But people don't remember the pandemic. Why? Because they're, back then they're used to pandemics. Again and again, cholera outbreaks, this, that, the other, tuberculosis, typhoid, it was normal. But World War I, that's abnormal. Tanks, chemical warfare, airplanes. So people tend to just remember World War I when actually the Spanish flu killed so many more persons, more than double at least. So this is material nature punishing us, but we forget so easily. And the Jamila forgot his Brahmana training. But the Brahmana training did not forget him. So at the time of death, when he's so terrified, he managed to chant without offense. Not because he wanted to glorify Krishna, but because he was in complete anxiety calling out to his son. But he called out the holy name at a special time, the time of death. Therefore the Vishnu Dudas came. Never mind, the Jamila was calling his son. He managed to call his son without, he chanted without making offenses. Some or other, his background, which was not pure Vaishnava, it was mixed, Karmakanda and some Vishnu worship. Some or other, he managed to call out the name of the Lord free from offense. And he's actually just thinking of his son. He wasn't thinking, let me glorify Krishna. Let me glorify Narayan, the forms, qualities, their paraphernalia. But just by chanting at the time of death, without offense, he was relieved of all sinful activities. So what to speak of if you spend your life serving Krishna? How kind Krishna will be to you at the time of death. <clears throat> So we shouldn't be paranoid that 
what if I do so much service all my life and then at the time of death because my mind and body are disrupted I won't think of Krishna and therefore I can not get the benefit of all my decades of bhakti no, Krishna is so affectionate you're seeing in the history of Ajahnmil how Krishna is protecting his devotees we explained that that's the theme of the sixth canto devotee protection so in other words if Ajahnmil can be protected in this way what about someone who spends a lifetime in Krishna's service Krishna assures you in Bhagavad Gita, Yoga Shem Baham Yaham. I'll preserve the good that you have and I'll bring to you whatever you're missing. If you're one of those, Ananyas Chintayantama, if you're always thinking of me. That means always planning how to please Krishna, how to serve Krishna's senses. Because of Ajahnmil's desperate chanting, not only did the Vishnu Dudas appear, but they ordered the Yama Dudas, don't touch him. And the Yama Dudas were astonished. We are the servants of Yamaraj. This has never happened before. It's clear that this man is totally sinful with his body, mind, and words. Clear-cut case. What are you doing here? They were saying to the Vishnu Dudas. You're so extraordinarily beautiful. Who are you? Are you, you? You look more beautiful than demigods. You certainly look more beautiful than sub-demigods, the Upadevas. Are you the servants of some Siddha Sattama, some best of perfect persons? In other words, we're servants of Yamaraj. He's Siddha Sattama. Are you Siddha Sattama? Are you serving as Siddha Sattama also? But we have never been disrupted like this before. Especially in such a clear case. This man is beyond the shadow of doubt guilty in all ways of living such a sinful life. So the Yamadutas are in action already. Did you know that? They are pulling out the soul from the core of Ajamil's heart. The heart is a contraption. It's not a spiritual device. In Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, Ishwar Sava Bhutana Hridde Arjuna Tishtati. Arjuna I'm situated in everyone's heart as the controller. Krishna is not only in your heart as the controller, he's also there as your friend. But we think Krishna doesn't care for us or Krishna's abandoned us when actually it's the reverse. We've abandoned Krishna and we don't care. We don't care for him because we don't care for his instructions. 
So how does Krishna demonstrate his friendship? As Suhittama, the best of all friends, the best of all well-wishers. How does he demonstrate that in your heart? He goes with you to whatever next body you take. No matter how abominable that body is, the super soul will be with you in the core of the heart. When you walk around outside your house at the park or at the beach or just on the street, in the countryside, you see so many creatures flying through the air, crawling on the ground, swimming in the water. You should think, most likely I've been through those bodies. Most likely I have traversed through those bodies. And amazingly, inconceivably, the super soul is there with me, even in such a wretched body. Think how that is real friendship. We normally don't think about it in that way. We just mechanically recite the verse, and we may know, we may know the verse from the Upanishads, Dwa Suparna Sayuja Sakaya. There are two birds on the tree of the body. One is the eating bird, the other is the witnessing bird. But we don't focus so much on the friendship that Krishna is showing as the super soul. How else is that friendship shown by Paramatma, the super soul? You have desires and you have your karma. Desires mean you want certain experiences. You want certain achievements. And then you have your karma, your reactions that you must experience. Just like in terms of vehicles, the body is a vehicle. But in terms of a car, if possible you want the best car. You may want a Mercedes, but do you have the wherewithal to pay for the Mercedes? Similarly, conditioned souls are all about desires. I want this, I want that. But do you have the karma to pay for fulfilling those desires, forgetting what you want? So Krishna as super soul in your heart shows you friendship by arranging to fulfill your desires in the most appropriate way and according to your karma. So again, we don't think about friendship in that kind of way. But isn't, even in the mundane sense, a friend is someone who's always with you no matter what? And a friend is someone who helps you fulfill your desires. So, but still, we ask, what is Krishna doing for me? <laughs> we always have that mentality. When I was a new devotee, when I first came to Bhakti, I felt that Krishna was doing something for me. But what has he done for me lately? <laughs> we have this tendency to turn the Supreme Personality of God into our order supplier. But that will never make us happy. Therefore, the real devotees of the Lord teach us 
how to desire simply Krishna's pleasure. That is the perfection of bhakti. How to want what Krishna wants. That's when you are in that kind of consciousness, you have fully profited from the bhakti training. So we know that a Vaishnava who surrendered to the Lord is always protected. But what about a Chamil? <laughs> this is, as we said, Krishna showing you. If I can care for a Jamila, I can certainly care for you. Now sometimes people point out examples in the Shastra of exalted personalities who apparently for a slight discrepancy had to take another birth. Bharat Maharaj was on, almost on the platform of perfect love. But for a slight discrepancy, apparently, he had to take birth as a deer. Sobari Rishi saw two fish copulating in the water as he had remained underwater for thousands of years doing austerities. But just by seeing two fish engaged in that way, his mind became agitated, he came out of the water, and he expanded material life. His material life. Who else? Maharaj Niga. So charitable. Yet, for an apparent slight discrepancy, he had to take birth as a lizard. Who else? These examples are given in Brihad Bhagavatamrita. I always recommend reading that to those of you who have sufficiently read Srila Prabhupada's books. It's out of this world, Brihad Bhagavatamrita. Commentaries taken exactly from Sanatana Goswami's commentaries. So there, Sanatana Goswami points out, Yudhisthira Maharaj in the gambling match, the Pandavas. Why was he implicated in that? Why was Nirga implicated? Sobari Rishi, Bharat Maharaj. Sanatana Goswami in Brihad Bhagavatamrita points out that Sometimes these exalted devotees are used by the Lord to teach us. And they, just like Arjuna in the first chapter of Bhagavad Gita was actually in Maya by the Lord's arrangement to teach us. But he's an eternal associate of the Lord. So, Sanatana Goswami explains that Yudhisthira Maharaj, by going through the gambling ordeal with the Pandavas, shows you the pitfalls of gambling. <clears throat> and Sobri Rishi is showing another lesson. And Bharat Maharaj is showing how association, material association, even with a deer, can affect your outcomes. And then Maharaj Nirga is showing what happens when you offend Brahmanas. So one reason is educational. They're allowing themselves to be used by the Lord to educate the conditioned souls. That this is what you have to be careful about. Another reason, though, Sanatana Goswami says, is humility. 
We don't want to be known as high-class bhaktas. We'd rather be treated with contempt. We'd rather be looked down upon in order that we protect the confidential secrets of bhakti. We don't want to be known as great bhaktas. So we'll apparently go through these situations so that people will think bad of us. That's better for our spiritual life. Kind of hard for you to understand. <laughs> Reputation is everything. For one who has been honored, dishonor is worse than death. <laughs> this way we need to be educated into the advanced feelings of devotees. They don't want to be known as great devotees. They want to keep that in con confidentially. Just like when you hear about Gaur Kishur Das Babaji, the spiritual master of Shiva Bhakti Sananda Sajitakur. He didn't want to be pursued as a great devotee and perceived as a great devotee. Because, especially in India, persons, when they hear, oh, so-and-so is a great Baba, he's a great Paramahansa, great devotee. What does everyone want? Blessings. <laughs> blessings for career, blessings for marriage, blessings for health. So Gorka Shurdas Babaji would chant his japa where he lived, an abandoned latrine. And you know what that's like in India. <laughs> in this way, he didn't want anyone to bother him as he absorbed himself in the holy name. We think, oh, when I become a great devotee, everyone should know about it. <laughs> but that's not how a real devotee thinks. So therefore, although it's inconceivable to us, Bharat Maharaj, Yuga Maharaj, Yudhisthira, Shobri Rishi allowed themselves to go through such situations so their reputation would be lowered. Even, you could even say their reputation would be trash and that way no one would think they're great devotees. And as an equally or more important reason, they're teaching us pitfalls that we need to watch out for. We can go over the situation of Nigra Maharaj briefly. The children of the Yadu dynasty, like Samba and so on, were playing in the forest. They had gone outside of Dorka on a picnic. And by the Lord's arrangement, they became very thirsty. Things happen in the Shastra when people become thirsty. <laughs> Remember Bridget Maharaj. <laughs> so they were looking for water to drink and they found a large abandoned well. The Acharyas point out the well was covered with vegetation and was very hard to see what's at the bottom of this big well. But somehow when the boys looked into the well, they were able to see a huge lizard at the bottom of the well. And they tried to pull out the lizard because they're compassionate. They tried extending ropes and other arrangements, but 
They were, they were boys, and they were not yet demonstrating their full potencies as sons of the Yadu dynasty. So they went home and they told their father, Krishna, who also responded with compassion and went with the boys to the site of the well. And Krishna looked in the well, extended his left hand, and easily pulled the lizard out, this giant lizard. And by the touch of Krishna's hand, that lizard turned into a stunningly beautiful golden demigod. So Krishna asked, although Krishna knows everything, for the sake of the Leela, he asked, well, who are you? And Niga Maharaj replied that I know you know who I am, but since you've asked, I will humbly respond. If you ever heard about exalted givers of charity, you must have heard about me. <laughs> now this is a subtle point. The Acharyas point out that you're already seeing the cause of Riga Maharaja's downfall. He's really attached to his charity that he gave and his reputation, his material reputation, his accumulation of piety. So therefore the first thing he says is, if you if you've ever heard a list of the greatest charity givers, you must have heard my name. <laughs> this is, Bhakti is subtle. And then he goes on to explain that I gave so much charity. I gave more cows in charity than there are drops of water in a downpour. I gave more cows in charity than grains of sand. And who, to whom did I give the, the cows to in charity? I gave them to first-class brahmanas. In other words, my record is impeccable for punya, for pious activity. The cows I gave were all at the peak of their health. They only had one calf. Their horns were gold-plated. Their hooves were silver-plated. They wore jeweled necklaces. They were covered with silk cloth, with jewels attached to the cloth. These are the cows I gave, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of them. Now you might say, well, couldn't this be an exaggeration? <laughs> but the Acharyas point out that on certain holy days, and at certain holy places like Kurukshetra, if you give one cow, it's equal to 10 million. <laughs> There's always this fine print. <laughs> so Riga Maharaj was expert in all this pious activity, but he was not a bhakta. He had, some, he had thoughts of the Supreme Personality Guided, but that wasn't his main program. His main program was pious activity for going to the heavenly planets with a bit of Krishna Bhakti thrown in on the side. But that little bit would cause him to eventually be able to see the Supreme Movement. But it wasn't his main program, and that's why he got into trouble. 
He's demonstrating that even though he gained so many cows in charity, not only cows, he was giving grains, he was building ponds by the side of the road, classic punya. He was planting trees on the side of the road. He was digging wells. These are classic pious activities in the Vedas. He's doing all that. But he had a problem. He fell into trouble. As you know, he had given a cow to one brahmana, and then that cow had come back and mixed with Nriga's herd. And Nriga gave that herd to another brahmana. And so the first brahmana found out, where's my cow? How could You gave my cow, you gave it to me, and then you gave it to another brahmana? How can you do this? <laughs> so Nriga thought, I can easily straighten this out. He, he explained the situation. The brahmanas, both brahmanas who had received cows in this mix-up, they would not relent. So Nriga told them, look, we can easily settle this. <laughs> Again, he told them that. Here's what I'll do. I'll give each of you, to compensate for that one cow causing the misunderstanding, I'll give each of you 100,000 cows. Now you would say, ooh, good business. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. No problem. Please, send cows. <laughs> no, these brahmanas are really stubborn. We want that cow, that one cow. We will not accept 100,000 cows in the place of this cow. Oh, Nigamar, he knew. Wait a minute. If the brahmanas are displeased, there'll be havoc in my life. He begged them, please, don't send me to hell. Please, just let's solve this. No, these brahmanas, they obviously weren't Krishna bhaktas. Sometimes we devotees can be unforgiving, but it's not our mainstay. But these two brahmanas were mm, not in bhakti consciousness, so they were really dug in with their positions. No, no, and no. And so, what happened? At the time of death, Nigo was taken to Yamaraj. Now, a detail that the Acharyas give is that when he went to Yamaraj, it's not in the same court that Yamaraj deals with sinners. It's the court for pious persons. So Yamaraj said, all right, what do you want first? Do you want the reactions from your pious activities or do you want the reactions from your impious activities? But by the way, let me inform you, you've done so many pious activities, I, as Yamaraj, can't see the end of your stay in the heavenly planets. I can't see the end of your material enjoyment. Hint. So which do you want first? But Nriga is showing you how, whether pious activity or impious activity, you become bewildered because it's all material activity. It's selfish material activity. It's not bhakti. So bewildered in his intelligence, Nriga says, well, I've heard that after you suffer and then enjoy, the enjoyment is so much sweeter. 
<laughs> that was his thinking. So, I'll take my suffering first, which will be a little bit, and then I'll have endless enjoyment, which I'll relish even more after the suffering. <laughs> you, you're thinking, come on, nigga, take, take Yamaraj's hint. Yamaraj, who's sometimes referred to as Bhagavan, can't see the end of your stay in the heavenly planets. Can't see your material happiness ending. No. Prabhupada helps us to understand what's going wrong here. In Krishna book you can read. Prabhupada points out that this is the bewildering result of someone who's dedicated to the path of pious activity, which is very intricate and problematic. One slip up and look what's going to happen. So Riga tells Yamaraj that, and Yamaraj immediately says, fall, fall into a lizard's body. This is a powerful demonstration to us that we can't live in this world safely without Krishna Bhakti. The path of material activity is too intricate. You read about politicians, like there was a time when Australia had a string of prime ministers in, in revolving door, in, out, in, out, in, out. The same thing can happen with our dedication to pious activities. Or we're trying to do pious activities, build hospitals, plant trees, do a good deed. Things are very intricate. Even unknowingly, you can make a mistake, as Nyuga Maharaj did. Better you focus on devotional service. And you see what happened to Ajahnila. Although he was not born in a pure Vaishnava family, he did a little bit of devotional service. And therefore, when he got into big trouble, married to a prostitute at the time of death, his background somehow or other emerged again. And he was able to call out the name of Narayan, even though he was calling for his son. He called out without offense. Compare that to what Nrigam Maharaj did. So much charity you can't conceive of. He had it made materially, but there was a slip-up. <laughs> and his intelligence was bewildered by all that good karma activity. He didn't take Yamaraj's hint. So he was in a lizard's body. But there was, just like in the case of Ajamil, there was something special about Nigar Maharaj. Even while being absorbed in karmakanda activity, he had some longing for Vishnu. So therefore, as a lizard, he remembered that longing, just like Bharat Maharaj as a deer remembered. And so, eventually, he had the darshan of the Supreme Personality God who personally rescued him from the well and the lizard's body. And then, Nigar Maharaj went back to the heavenly planets went to the heavenly planets. Why didn't he go to Vaikuntha? Wasn't ready. You see, demigods in the heavenly planets 
can sometimes see the Supreme Personality but they can't enter Vaikuntha until they become pure. So therefore, Nirga Maharaj went to the heavenly planets to make further advancement, even though he had seen the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And the Supreme Personality of Godhead then lectured the residents of Dwarka. Just see what happens if you offend Brahmanas. Be very careful. Now you might say, well, didn't the relatives of Krishna know that already? Yes, but Krishna is using them to aim his instructions at the whole world. Just like through Arjuna in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna targets all human beings in all times and places. All right, any questions? We have a comment from Aniruddha Prabhu, who's graced us with his presence. Yes. Um, we have a, uh, an interesting contrast in this last one where um, we see that that association is dangerous, but a little contact with the devotees is very powerful, or some devotional service is very powerful. And um, we see we see in in the Hare Krishna movement we see devotees who have surrendered and given their lives to to Prabhupada, but then later on in their lives they become distracted and and um, you know they make statements like oh if only I could be with Prabhupada again and I can. I'll surrender and give my life, you know, I'll be with Prabhupada in the future um, and he'll be merciful to me. Um, and, and even though I'm in a fallen condition, I'll, I'll get the benefits later on, you know, from my surrender. So, um, my kind of Dilemma in understanding that is, uh, unless it's dangerous, <laughs> if we relax and you know just rest on our laurels, then um, even though we've had good fortune, we could still we could still fall down and we could still be in a very difficult situation. Um, even though we've had the benefits, like like Ajami, so uh, it seems to me that well. We see sometimes devotees kind of um, trying to want to take advantage of their devotional service and relax. And so, what's going on there? And then, you know, can we think, oh, yeah, well, I've performed devotional service, you know, at the time of death, the Yamadudas will, you know, I don't have to worry about the Yamadudas, I've got my tea like on, I've got my beads on, I've chanted over Krishna. <laughs> So how do we avoid that? that well, what's going on there and how do we avoid that situation ourselves? What's going on is, are two things simultaneous. There is the grace and mercy of Krishna's devotee, gratitude for all those who've done anything to help him in his service to his spiritual master, that was always so prominent in Prabhupada. 
So that's one thing. Then the other thing is committing sinful activity on the strength of the holy name is the greatest offense. Ajahnmiel wasn't doing that. He wasn't engaged in his abominable activities and thinking, I'll counteract all this by chanting Hare Krishna. He was just immersed in sinful activity. <laughs> so we have the graciousness of Krishna's empowered representatives, and then we have the rascaldom of those of us who are not careful or who think that I've done some service so that'll protect me and at the time of death some good will come to me so leave it at that. Somehow or other, inconceivably, these two things are both relevant to a devotee's situation. The, the graciousness of Prabhupada, all oh, you did so much for me. I remember in the case in, what, in New York when I was a young devotee, 1974, 75, there was a leader of Srila Prabhupada who did so much service. In fact, he was the first one. He's of the first two devotees who came to Australia. And he got himself into big hot water and had to step down from his position and disappeared for a while. And all the devotees of the temple were very angry at him. You've misled us. You've abused us. Uh, was there money involved? We thought, because we had worked hard to, through book distribution, collect money for a new building in New York. And the New York temple had like $100,000 in the bank which back then was like having a million. So we thought he, had, he must have embezzled it all. So anyway, a year later, I was in Los Angeles. I had been transferred from New York to work for the BBT in Los Angeles. And Prabhupada came, and the temple room was packed with like 400 devotees, and in walks this person. And, uh, of course, you can imagine what the younger devotees were thinking. That guy, what's Prabhupada going to do now? <laughs> and it was time for Guru Puja. And so I watched as this devotee, this fallen devotee, who had done so much service, walks up to the Vyasasan, and as they did back then, you take off your shirt because you're not, you know, you should only have a chutter on or bare-chested when you offer puja. Uh, when things first started, when Guru Puja first started, that was the, end, that's the uh, stipulation. So he's taking off his shirt and arranging the puja paraphernalia, and I'm looking, I'm in the front, and I'm looking at him like, mm. <laughs> and I looked at Prabhupada, and Prabhupada is looking at him with such love. I said, wait a minute, I'm out of sync here. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. Prabhupada's eyes are just full of love. <laughs> mm. And so after the class, Prabhupada goes up to his quarters upstairs, and this devotee follows him. 
And this devotee was, he really had a strong Vaishya ability. And Prabhupada knew how to engage everyone. I'm saying that so you understand what comes next. So I heard, because I, I asked Prabhupada's servant directly, what happened when he went up there? When he went up to see Prabhupada? Did he get chastised? Did he get blown out of the water? <laughs> he said, no. He, the Prabhupada servant told me this person offered his obeisances and then plunked down on Prabhupada's table $25,000. And Prabhupada responded, oh, so-and-so, so nice to see you and your money too. <laughs> <laughs> Now you understand why Prabhupada said that? Because that's how this devotee expressed his bhakti. Not that Prabhupada needed his 25,000, but he's encouraging him in service. Uh, I saw letters where Prabhupada explained this devotee is a first-class businessman. So Prabhupada was reciprocating according to his, the way this devotee could best show his devotion. But still, in my mind, what about that $100,000 the New York Temple had collected? What happened? <laughs> so later I had the service of filing all of Prabhupada's letters, both correspondence to him and correspondence from him. And I saw an amazing thing in, the, in these letters. Prabhupada had written some months before, he had written the New York Temple saying, right before this devotee left, this leader left. Uh, I need to build the Juhu project. I know you've collected funds there for the New York Temple. Can you lend me that $100,000 to, to help with the construction of the Juhu Temple? So that devotee leader, right before he left, he wrote Prophet, yes, yes, sure, sure, sure. And so then he sent the money to Mumbai to build the Juhu Temple. Three months later, Again, right before this devotee left, he wrote Prabhupada uh, about the loan. Can, can we need it now to pay for the building in New York? Can we have it back? And Prabhupada wrote him, Loan? You have given? And now you want back? <laughs> so Prabhupada saved the money personally. <laughs> But still, I remember how much love Prabhupada showed in his glancing over this devotee. He even tried again to send him to Australia, right, Anirudh? He tried to send this devotee back to Australia to be a leader. And then there's another example, final example, because it's getting late. There was a devotee who was one of Prabhupada's first disciples from Second Avenue. Uh, I won't mind if I say his name. It was Gargamuni. <laughs> it was then Gargamuni Maharaj in India. And so he had a certain personality. He just did what he wanted to do. And so devotees went to Prabhupada to complain that Gargamuni Maharaj has broken into the BBT go-down, the warehouse, and he's taking whatever books he's want, he wants. And that's not the system, you know. You, everyone knows you don't just plunder the 
the books and do what you like. There has to be accounting, paying, this, that, the other. But Garden Mooney, nope, broke the lock. <laughs> and took whatever he wanted in. Yeah. <laughs> and he's thinking, well, everything I do is for Prabhupada anyway, so what does it matter? I don't follow any rules. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a, such a senior man. <laughs> so the devotees went to Prabhupada to complain. And what was Prabhupada's response? Let him do whatever he likes. He's helped me so much in the beginning. But you can't take advantage of that. So there are two things. The graciousness of Krishna's empowered devotee and our rascal attitude, which sooner or later will cause us problems if we don't check it. All right. So it's been interesting discussing Ajahn Neel and Maharaj Yiga, the parallels as Aniruddha Prabhu has pointed out. All right. Thank you very much. Glory to Shiva Prabhupada.